What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the All Things Croatia podcast. I'm your host, Stan Kozovac, and I'm bringing you the best of Croatia from around the globe. This episode is brought to you by Adriatic Tours, the best place since 1974 to book your cruises, tours, flights, and simply all things Croatia. Use the personalized code ALLTHINGSCROATIA to get a special discount and book your trip to Croatia today. For more information, go to www.adriatictours.com or click the link in the description. Now eat the modalje and let's get started. All right, welcome back to the podcast, everybody. In this week's episode, we have special guest AJ Piplica. AJ is a Croatian-American entrepreneur and engineer. After working for years in the aerospace industry, AJ is the founder of Hermes, a startup that's building the world's fastest aircraft. AJ was also listed on the NFCA's 40 Rising Croatian-Americans Under 40. And in this, ep- in this episode, we're going to learn more about him and his innovative startup. AJ, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thanks so much for having me. I feel like I always find a way to butcher a word in the introduction, but we'll go for a round two. We'll keep this going. <laughs> Just keep going. going. Just keep yeah. going. <laughs> um, AJ, I appreciate you taking the time to um, come on the podcast here. I know you're a busy guy. I definitely want to get into, into the startup and talk about that. A lot of interesting stuff you guys are doing. But can you first start us off You know, with sort of your Croatian background, your heritage? Sure, absolutely. So, um, yeah, both my parents, uh, born in Croatia, uh, my mom, uh, from Malinska on Kirk, uh, up north in the islands, and my dad uh, from a little village uh, inland down south called Dobrinche, uh, not too far from uh, Imotski. So uh, two very different cultures in and of themselves. Growing up, uh, I'd get yelled at by one parent for saying some words wrong, <laughs> but it was just the wrong dialect. So uh, yeah, that was <laughs> that was pretty fun. Not that my language skills have uh, grown a ton because of that. But uh, yeah, so, uh, you know, both my parents being Croatian, they came over to uh, North America in, uh, let's see, uh, in the early 60s. Um, They were both like four or five uh, years old at the time. Uh, My mom came over to New York with her parents. Uh, She was an only child. Uh, And then my dad uh, came over to Canada, the uh, Mississauga, Toronto area um, with with his family. Uh, He had a bunch of bunch of siblings. already and then some more uh, when he got there so um you know they met through a uh, croatian uh kind of student exchange program between you know new york and uh and and toronto uh so you know the kind of croatian community had had always been uh kind of front and center in, in their relationship and i think that that continued uh, quite a bit for myself and my sister so um you know, we grew up in, were born in, in New York and moved down to Florida uh, when I think I was like six or something. Um, but uh, always really clung on to, uh, you know, the, um, you know, my parents' backgrounds and, and their histories and their family's histories. Uh, for me, it was something that was super unique. Um, I didn't really grow up around a lot of, uh, a lot of Croatian kids. Um, you know, the, the most, most Croatian uh, kind of stuff in my life would happen when I go back to Canada uh, and hang out with my family there. Um, but uh you know, we'd, we'd go to Croatian American Club picnics uh, every couple months or so in, in the Tampa Bay area. Um, but uh, yeah, for me, it's always it's always stuck with me as uh, like that's that's where I came from. That's where my family came from. Um, and it's, and it's you know, continuously been been a part of me. I've been back uh, a couple times over the course of my life. I haven't spent a, a ton of time there. Um, maybe in the future when uh, the flights are a little bit faster, I'll <laughs> spend some more time over there. But uh, yeah, you know, beautiful, beautiful country. Um and uh yeah really uh kind of proud piece of uh, of who i am 
Mm -hmm. Well, speaking about flights, as you just brought it up, um, when did you really get interested in aerospace? Yeah, so I've I've always kind of liked um, you know uh, building things and and the future. So uh, grew up you know playing with Legos and Kinects and Rector sets and all these sorts of things, and uh, just love love building things, taking them apart. Um, you know, neither of my parents were engineers, so it was kind of first generation uh, of that profession in our family. So it took a while to figure out what it actually all meant. Um, but uh, you know, also really love love the future. So you know, Star Trek, Star Wars. Um, that uh, that's something I always always really liked. So I got made fun of plenty for it in uh, in school, but uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll I'll live with that for now. Um, and one of the things that kind of struck me, looking back, was that. Uh, you know those those worlds, those universes that have that have been created, um, you know, relate to people moving around really massive, massive areas, um, and you don't really think about it. But the vehicles that allow people to interact with each other over long distances uh, are like kind of incredibly important parts of of those stories and, and those universes. So, um, kind of those things got got paired together for me uh, pretty clearly. I think it was in middle school. I went to an air show with my dad and, and some friends. And uh, we saw the C-5 Galaxy fly. So it's the largest cargo aircraft that we have in the U.S. And uh, the thing is like a building on its side with wings and wheels. Uh, and it just kind of broke my brain. Like seeing that airplane fly, I was like, that shouldn't that shouldn't physically be possible. Uh, but it was. And, uh, you know, through through middle school and high school, um, you know, I was pretty involved in, in like STEM curriculum, science, technology, engineering and math. Um, you know, pretty good there. Uh, and when it came time to kind of decide what I wanted to do in, in college, university, um, you know, aerospace was was the thing that I enjoyed the most. Um, I'll go back to what I said before, though, of like being a first generation engineer. I had no idea what it actually meant. So, you know, get to get to Georgia Tech where I did my undergrad, uh, my first introduction to aerospace engineering class. And a professor stands up and like, you know, asks everybody to list out their three favorite airplanes. I'm like, well, I only know like one airplane. <laughs> Meanwhile, everybody, everybody else in the class, uh, <laughs> like, yeah, the uh, you know 1965, blah 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 blah. Uh, it's you know, it was uh, <laughs> it was a pretty quick uh, flash in the pan, and uh, I, I got to I had to get my <laughs> get my wits about me pretty quick. So, um, but at least I had like a good good math and and, and science uh, basis for uh, you know building the the skills on on the engineering side that were necessary to. Uh, to grow and be successful in in uh, in this area, um, you know, a lot of people said that aerospace was the you know the hardest of all the engineering disciplines to go through. I don't think I would agree. I think uh, definitely for me at least, there's there's other harder ones: chemical engineering, biomedical engineering, not my fancy. Uh, aerospace I could do though. Um, and uh, yeah, so I was, when I was at school, um, did a couple uh, co-op or internship semesters out at NASA Johnson Space Center, um, worked on a bunch of different things. Um, the space shuttle, uh, got to sit console for a, a number of missions, uh, which is pretty cool, and then got into computational fluid dynamics, so essentially numerical modeling of, of aerodynamics uh, and aerothermodynamics. Um, and that's, I think, really what kind of solidified the area that I wanted to go into. So, you know, as a um, as an aerospace engineer who focuses in aerodynamics and wants to work on the frontier, uh, well, the frontier is typically in space, uh, but there's no there's no air up there, so it's not too much uh, not too much an aerodynamicist can do. Uh, so hypersonics or high speed flying high speed in the atmosphere was kind of what what really um, you know got me got me hooked. And and once you get bitten by that bug, uh, you can't get unbit. Um, 
and uh, you know, followed that through uh, a couple different jobs and positions. Um, you know, before deciding to step out on my own with uh, with three other co-founders and, and start Hermius back in 2018, almost uh, almost four years to the date. I think in, uh, on Wednesday is our wow. four year anniversary. If, going on the All Things Croatia podcast for the mm-hmm. anniversary. <laughs> yeah. You, you know, you brought up. Uh, I'm going to butt in with a story real quick because you just reminded me of something. Actually, I just had an interview a few weeks ago at some company over here in Croatia, international company, airline company. It was like a sales Mm -hmm. position. And they asked me, what do you know about aircrafts? Like, can you list off some aircraft? Similar situation. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't know anything. I said, "Uh, I've seen Top Gun. There you go. That's that's always a good answer. <laughs> and then they're going to ask you, like, the new one or the old one? Yeah, she she actually asked, what did you think of the new one? I said, oh, actually, I only saw the first one. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. <laughs> so I didn't uh, didn't hear back from that job yet. Not sure why. But, <laughs> but yeah, you mentioned, um, you mentioned hypersonic. And mm-hmm. I wanted to ask, what's the difference between hypersonic and supersonic? Yeah, so to to some degree it's semantics, um, but you know typically supersonic is, is pretty easy delineation. You know, faster than the speed of sound. Um, but then once you once you go faster than the speed of sound, the, there are like certain speeds at which the governing physics change a little bit, um, and in some cases by a large bit. So that's kind of where the hypersonic regime has has been delineated. Uh, there isn't like a kind of a hard uh, line, although it's it's typically defined as faster than five times the speed of sound. And that's because when you get up to around that speed, um, there are kind of different governing physics or different elements of uh, physics that are driving what uh, how the flow behaves um, relative to flying, you know, two to three times the speed of sound. So um, it's it's a gray area because like those those physics aren't like at a discrete point like they are at Mach 1. They kind of bleed from kind of Mach 4 uh, up to around Mach 6. Um, so, you know, that's that's why Mach 5 has been picked as uh, kind of the, the standard uh, definition of, uh, of hypersonic. Kind of like the Kármán line uh, where we define space. It's not exactly a, a hard delineation. Um, you know, there's, uh, I think the, the U S definition is actually 50, uh, miles, whereas the international definition is 60 miles. So, huh. um, yeah, that's interesting. Okay. Well, I think if anyone asks me, I'll stick with the, it's just semantics explanation. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, you know, talking about Hermius, um, AJ, what was your sort of goal with the ultimate goal with starting Hermius? Yeah. So big picture, long-term vision to radically accelerate air travel by building Mach 5 passenger aircraft. Um, you know, it's it's not an easy thing to do. There are a massive set of technical challenges to get there and a whole nother set of business challenges that are arguably harder, which is maybe heretical for an engineer to say that the business side is harder than the technical side. Mm-hmm. Um, but but it is very much true. Uh, this is not a, an inexpensive endeavor and, and none of the four of us are billionaires to start out with. So, uh, you know, even billionaires have failed trying to do this in the past. So uh, we kind of have to do it the hard way. But um, yeah, at the end of the day, we want to see a world uh, in which people uh, and goods uh, move around quite a bit faster than they do today. We haven't seen a change in the speed of transportation networks since uh, about the 1950s. And you know, if you look back even further in history, you know, when there have been significant speed ups in, in transportation networks, they've almost always been accompanied by massive social and economic growth um, within the affected regions. So, uh, you know, if we can do that at a global scale, if we can accelerate global transportation uh, by 5x, um, perhaps at the same cost as today's business class uh, flight travel, um, what does that do to, you know, global economic uh, productivity and, and, you know, uh, spread of social ideas? Uh, I think it does quite a bit. And it's it's like, 
it's growth that is new. It's not zero sum where we're going to grow here and then you know other parts are going to suffer. Um, it is it is very much new growth, and um, you know we need to be able to unlock the kind of latent potential of humanity if we're going to solve a lot of the challenges that uh, you know that we have ahead as as a species. Um, and uh, you know this is this is a pretty unique way in in which I think we can do that. So you know, that was really the guiding motivation um, behind starting the company when we did. And, um, you know, there are a number of um, kind of things that uh, I think gave us the confidence uh, that that what we wanted to do was possible. Um, number one, the technology to build Mach 5 aircraft is mature enough, at least at a component level today, to get started. You don't, you don't need a miracle of, you know, some new material that doesn't exist yet or a new propulsion cycle that doesn't exist yet. It's very much a, an engineering challenge, very hard engineering problem. Um, but engineering and, and not science. Um, you know, the national security applications of, of hypersonic aircraft, especially autonomous ones, are are pretty expansive. And you know, on top of that, now you've created intermediate markets for you know, for the products as you're you know uh, de-risking the technology before you're flying people. Um, you know, uh, that that kind of helps buy down those uh, those financial challenges. Uh, and then finally, we had a hunch that private capital was was willing and interested and excited about uh, investing in, in high speed mobility. So, you know, since uh, over the past four years, we've basically been testing out those those three hypotheses and slowly but surely working our way through and uh, and proving them correct. Hmm. Well, yeah, because right now you guys, um, you raise a lot of money in funding. I forget how much I read. Was it like 100 million in funding? Yeah, about 100 and... Uh, 120-ish total. Okay. And then, but you also have a military contract? Yep. Yeah, we have a, a $30 million contract uh, with the U.S. Air Force and a number of other uh, contracts in the Department of Defense as well. Okay. And there's no, like, it's not a conflict of interest to, I mean, you want to work towards passenger planes, but at the same time you're doing, you know, sort of the unmanned planes. Mm -hmm. Is that just sort of all steps in the process, perhaps? Yeah, yeah absolutely. So, you know, we, we try to really stay on path you know these are these are things that we have to build and do anyway um, we can't just build a 20 passenger mach 5 aircraft right off the bat we have to iterate through the technology um, and in doing so there are some natural kind of like pausing points there where you know you, the thing that you've you've built to de-risk the technology is actually a useful product for customers so um, you know the early use cases for these smaller autonomous platforms is certainly uh, you know primarily uh, defense and national security. Um, although I think toward the toward the end of that, there will be a bleeding over into the commercial worlds ahead of flying passengers, um, specifically around high speed cargo. So, um, yeah, you know, they're they're really important uh, challenges to solve. And I think um, you know, beyond just you know the reasons that we have for for going after these challenges on the defense side, um, you know, toward our end goal, um, you know, I think it's it's a thing that we kind of have a responsibility to do. Um, you know, they're, they're really isn't uh, another place in, in the U.S. or in the world that's taking, you know, a you know, commercial space or new space approach to um, developing these kinds of platforms. And, um, you know, if, if they're able to you know, keep a future conflict from happening, um, like, say, you know, something like what's happening in Ukraine, uh, keep that from happening in the South China Sea, um, that's a pretty strong uh, responsibility that we have to place on our shoulders and, and something we take very seriously. Um, so kind of keeping all those things aligned and, and making sure that we're doing things for the right reason uh, is, is pretty critical. But, you know, this uh, this idea of like dual use technology where there's commercial applications and, and defense applications uh, isn't new. And I think it's actually going to be really, really critically important as uh, you know, as things move forward 
uh, here over the next uh, you know couple decades or so, because uh, there's more kind of innovation and and capability that's that's being built out in the commercial world than there is you know within the halls of the Pentagon in, in a lot of cases. So you know where those can be aligned um, pretty well. Uh, yeah, I think there's uh, there's uh, quite a bit to, to do there. Mm -hmm. What's the timeline looking like for those you know couple of steps? Yeah, so um, we're working on our first aircraft uh, right now called Quarter Horse. Um, that aircraft will be in the air sometime next year, toward the end, um, and then it'll uh, hopefully break the first airspeed record in uh, in almost 50 years in 2024. Uh, Dark Horse, which is the uh, the next aircraft, will come along after that, and you know pushing to get Halcyon, which is the passenger aircraft, uh, up in the air before the end of the decade. Wow. And there, I saw on the website there was some sort of barometer. I forget what flight they used. Was it from New York to London, maybe? New York to London in 90 minutes. 90 minutes. Wow. And how long does that take right now? About seven and a half hours. Jeez. Yeah, that would be, yeah. I mean, you could definitely go visit Croatia more often if you're having flights <laughs> yep. like that. I mean, I was sitting in traffic in LA when I was working there two hours just to get home every night. So an hour and a yep. half to get to London from New York. That's yeah, we haven't, uh, we'll, we'll leave the last mile problems to all the, uh, electric vertical takeoff and landing companies that are, that are out there now. Um, but, uh, yeah, we're, we're focused on the, the long haul crossing oceans. Hmm. And what, what's it like for you working with all these, I mean, you're obviously one of them, these brilliant minds, um, but you know, these sort of top engineers in their field, I mean, are you still, are you still getting excited trying to, you know, solve all these problems and finding solutions? I, I mean, you mentioned the science is already there. It's just the sort of engineering aspect. Like, does that stuff excite you trying to like trial oh, yeah, and error type of stuff? It's, it's incredibly motivating. Um, you know, so much of, of what we do is focus on, um, you getting to integrated hardware and software systems as quickly as possible and then testing, um, knowing that what we build probably isn't going to work the first time. Um, but it's it's within that kind of relentless pursuit of iteration and improvement. Um, I think that we find the right solutions to our problems. You know, um, the particular technical challenges that we're going after here, um, nobody's ever even really tried in the air. Um, so we don't even know what the right problems are to solve yet, and we won't find them until we, you know, put hardware in the real world and, and test it. So, um, you know, seeing some of the the really best engineers in the world. Uh, you know, work on, on those types of problems and, and supporting them in doing so uh, is, is incredibly motivating. Hmm. And now I wanted to point out, you also started a podcast, as I mentioned mm -hmm. before we started recording. Uh, talk a little about that. How did that come about? And what was the reason <laughs> for that? Yeah, so, um, you know, culture is very important to us here at Hermius, and it's uh, it can be a difficult thing to share um, and, and kind of tell people about in an authentic way. I mean, we can talk all, all day about you know, our cultural virtues and, and how we think about certain things, but uh, you really wanted to give the you know the the public a view into who we are in the most authentic way possible, and um, you know a podcast is the 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 best way that we have found to do that so far. So um, it was one of those kind of iteration things where it's like, hey, we don't know if this is going to work, but we'll try it and and see how it does and then tweak it along the way and. Um, you know, we did it in such a way that it was a pretty low bar. You know, we don't do a lot of editing. Um, it's basically like five person hours uh, to do, you know, um, four people on the pod and, and an hour to cut and prepare everything uh, afterwards. And uh, yeah, so it's like a really, really low lift um, for uh, for everybody involved. And I think the, um, you know, the impact that it's had is, has been fantastic. Um, you know, pretty much anybody who comes and talks to the company for the first time, you know, be it in, uh, you know, somebody we're recruiting or, or folks on the customer side, um, you know, 
they know a lot more about who we are beyond just what we put on our website because they can see it firsthand. Um, and uh, yeah, I think it's been massively, massively influential. Um, you know, the kinds of, the kinds of things that we do are like, uh, they're not kind of uh, easy to digest for, for everybody. Um, and, and like, we kind of try to own that and like really get into the weeds and, and talk about stuff as, as much as we can, um, you know, within the realm of, uh, kind of proprietary information and export control, of course, but, um, you know, we try to make some of that stuff uh, accessible and, and hopefully, um, you know, people learning a little bit about, you know, what it is that we're doing and why it's important and, and how we're going about it. Uh, you know, hopefully that inspires more people to pursue the cause. Hmm. Now, I'm sure also when hiring that helps, you know, in finding yeah. the right candidate too. Are, what's your plan like to, you know, expand? How many employees are you at right now? Yeah, so we're uh, we're in the 90s right now. Um, got a couple more hires to put together this calendar year, and uh, we'll be around 100 soon. Um, and then, uh, yeah, growth uh, beyond that is uh, you know really going to be dependent on how successful we are, um, you know, within the the technical side of what we're doing on the product development side with Quarter Horse and um, and on the the sales side with the U.S. government. But um, you know, I wouldn't be surprised. If the company continued to double. Uh, so we we tripled last year. We doubled this year. Um, and, uh, yeah, I would love to see that, that level of growth continue. Um, but, uh, you know, that, that fate is all on our shoulders. Hmm. Yeah, that's crazy. Tripling and doubling. Is it a lot of, is it mostly engineers or? Yeah, most, mostly engineering. Um, although, uh, you know, we do have an operation side to the business that, um, kind of really, uh, builds the infrastructure that's needed for us to all, uh, do our jobs well. So, yeah. Hmm. Well, you know, speaking about sort of the business side of it all, because you're also, um, I forget if I read that or I just thought, but you majored also in entrepreneurship as well as engineering. Uh, I did a certificate in entrepreneurship. Yeah, so it was like certificate. Four, okay. Four classes of uh, let's see, uh, management, marketing, accounting, and entrepreneurship. So uh, okay, a okay. Bit, little bit of a taste, but like, uh, no education will prepare you for entrepreneurship better than doing it and failing <laughs> at it and then doing it again. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. And I mean, for for me, it seems completely different entrepreneurship and engineering, because to me, as someone who's probably neither, definitely not an engineer, engineering seems so like everything has an answer, like mathematical, there's a solution and a way to find that solution. You just go step by step. And and entrepreneurship for me is, you know, everything is fluid and changing, even if you do everything right and it's, you know, the wrong time or just, you know, you can do everything right and not succeed. So for me, they're almost like opposites. Do you see it that way too? <laughs> That's interesting. Um, not exactly. I, I see the engineering side closer to to what you just described on on the entrepreneurship side. Um, when you're working on things outside the realm of what's been done before, extrapolated known data sets, uh, there's a ton of uncertainty, and like you don't know that success is uh, uh, a likely outcome. It's actually probably not a likely outcome. You do have to know that it's a possible outcome and then you have to go find the path to it. Um, but that path is by no means obvious. Um, and it takes a massive amount of iteration, getting it wrong, learning more, doing it again and again and again and again uh, until you get it right. So um, in, in that regard, it is actually, uh, it's a pretty similar to uh, to entrepreneurship, um, at, at least in this context of like building a new uh, product where, um, you know, engineering is, is such a critical uh, piece of it. Hmm. Yeah, it's an interesting viewpoint. 
I mean, yeah, I know nothing about engineering, so <laughs> I was just throwing spitballing in the dark over here about that. But just on the outside, I don't know. That's I guess just that's how I viewed it. But yeah, that makes sense the way you said it. Um, yeah, and and both both frankly are like very human centric. Um, I think too often us engineers get get down in the weeds thinking you know looking at the ones and zeros and expecting things to just work out because the math works uh it's a lot more complicated than that um and that's something that, that i've learned from the entrepreneurship side or the business side so like at the end of the day you're still working with people um yes the numbers are important but you're still working with people um so you, you have to work work those systems as well yeah you have to find a way to to put that all together um AJ, I want to bring up the Croatian Americans 40 under 40, which, you know, every year the N, make sure I get the acronym right here, NFCA, um, you know, puts together a list of the top 40 rising Croatian Americans on the under 40 years of age. And you were put on that list. Was that 2019? Uh, 18 or 19. Yeah. 2018. How did you hear about that? Did, did they reach out to you before? Did you, once you, you know, already got it, you heard about it or what? Yeah, I just uh, kind of came through the 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 network of uh, folks my uh, my family has has known, um, and you know folks that I've I've gotten to know uh, over the years. I think Steve Rukavina uh, is the guy who who reached out to me initially, and uh, yeah, it's a it's a real honor to uh, to be chosen for that. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I saw you on there. One of my good friends, uh, Johnny Svetkovic, was on there just this I think most recent year. So yeah, it's pretty cool. Honestly, before you know, the last couple of months, I hadn't even heard about it. And then you know, as I've sort of been starting this podcast and you know, getting involved in everything over here, I saw that they were doing that. That's pretty cool. Um, you know, as we're winding down here, AJ, um, I want to thank you, of course, for coming on the podcast. Uh, I know you're super busy with everything going on. I, I know with Hermes, of course, you know that's your. I mean, that's your main project. That's you're doing everything. You've got the podcast, other side projects with that. Are there any other future, you know, plans or projects that you're hoping to work on aside from those? <laughs> I mean, well, I know uh, that we, you got so much on your plate that we have a we have a young family that's uh that's hopefully growing this week. So we're expecting our, our second kid this week. So that is uh that is quite a program in and of itself. <laughs> wow, that's right. I totally forgot. You told me you're you're about to go on leave soon. That's why we were yeah. <laughs> We had to get this in. Well, yeah, congratulations on that, of course. Um, yeah, that's definitely big plans, I would say. Yep. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> awesome. Well, AJ, thank you so much for the time and for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate it. You bet. Thanks, Tanko. That's it for today's episode of the All Things Croatia podcast. Thanks for tuning in, and I hope you all enjoyed it. You can subscribe to the Patreon and check out the All Things Croatia Instagram page to stay updated. Feel free to reach out to me with any questions, tips, or ideas, and make sure to tune back in to the next episode. Thanks again, and vidimo se!